Hello and welcome to the Practical Leadership Podcast, where I interview great leaders and try to extract their wisdom and their experience for you to learn from and hopefully avoid making their mistakes. If you want to upgrade your leadership skills in 25 minutes, check out practical-leadership.academy. Rachel Kay, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Thank you. Well, so you've been in training and learning for most of your career. I mean, you were a training manager in leisure, travel for quite a long time, and then moved to the highly, highly technical bunch of people down at Talis. 25 years down there. Correct. Surrounded with engineers and the likes. And now you're the chief learning officer at Babington with the intervening moments of being a school governor. Yep. And uh two times non-exec director at the BCS, the British Computer Society, wonderful people that we are. Yes. Did, did I do you a misservice? What have I missed out? <laughs> uh, there was a, a bit in the middle um, with Capita where I was um, head of learning and that was a, a really exciting um, part of my career when we uh, combined a number of different training bands into a single proposition at Capita um, and also got a chance to work on probably one of the largest contracts, which was the modernization of training in the Royal Navy. It was a project called Project Selborne, which was about a billion pounds worth of revenue um, for Capita. And that was the project that my team worked on as well. So those were probably some definitely some career highlights that I had at Capita. But apart from that, yeah, busy lady. But that's what I've spent the last 30 years doing. Oh, fantastic. So in those 30 years, if you look back, what was the point where somebody came, tapped you on the shoulder and said, Rachel, yes, boss, I want you to look after these people. I want you to be their manager. What happened then? Yeah, so that that's way back in my very early 20s. I was working um, overseas in Europe for a holiday company. Um, decided actually not to go to university, much to my um, parents' um, disappointment, and went to work overseas. And, and I stayed overseas for about six years. And after doing sort of a and sort of you know introductory role um, with the tour operator, they asked me whether I'd like to manage a gateway. So a gateway is effectively like um, an area that a travel company would fly into. So I had my own gateway in in Greece. Um, so it meant I had so many thousand passengers coming in and had about sort of twenty staff and. And there was a little bit of training at that point. Um, but yeah, all of a sudden, I was responsible for people. I was responsible for working with um, a totally different culture. I was working with people that I'd never sort of led before. So I had both Greek and um, British um, people working in my team. Um, so it was a real baptism of fire. And it's, you know, commercial targets, it's service targets, it's health and safety. Um, it was at a probably a different time now of, of how people travel now and to how they probably traveled, you know, probably 20 years ago. But yeah, that was my first exposure of here you go, here's a team, make it work, here's the targets, off you go. What if you had to ask them now, do you think any of them any of them would remember you? Yeah, I think they I think they would. And in fact, some of my closest friends are people that um I worked overseas with. So we often have that. And some of them work for me and I work for some of them. And one of the things that I think we'd all say is that it was it was a tough job. I mean, it sounds as though it was a job in the sunshine. It really wasn't. It was hard work. It was, you know, making sure that you had the safety of, a, you know, lots of passengers at heart constantly. And we had some really, you know, things sometimes don't go to plan on people's holidays. 
and you've got to make sure that you know you've got a caring team there so we often talk about those things and yeah I think they would I think I'd probably be remembered as somebody that was fair that was fun um and that you know they they had a you know a great time some people that I was managing did it for one season other people went on to make it for their career but I think hopefully for the right reasons I might have stuck in people's minds that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's when you get volumes of the general public, there's always, always things that yeah. happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I say to my children now, you know, it's most important before you choose your career, go and do a job where you work with the general public because they teach you so many things. Um, and actually in, you know, working overseas, it was, you know, not just, you know, within the culture of, you know, passengers coming from the UK, but, you know, it's actually working with, you know, people in country. And I worked in about seven or eight different countries over my time overseas. So great exposure, very early on in my career. I think I came back when I was 26. I went when I was 20. So it was the best university of life. <laughs> totally. So you, Greece with 20 staff. So you had a little bit of training there. You had probably had some area manager or something like that looking yeah. after you a little bit. What was the advice that you were given? Or rather, if you went back what would be the bit of advice that you would have liked to have got? Or perhaps something that you then in turn give to me? Yeah, yeah. I think if I fast forwarded to when I came back from overseas and I, and I went to work for Talis in the defence sector and, you know, I started there as actually one of their training team and 15 years later I became the MD of the business. So a huge, you know, I did about eight different roles over those 15 years. So I think you know, by the time I got into working for Talis, which was a great organisation to work for, and I reflected back on my leadership when I was in travel, I think the thing that I wish I'd sort of known in those early days, when you're a leader, it's not about you knowing everything. It's about building brilliant teams around you. So having highly motivated people. And what, what I wish I'd known about motivation is there is, isn't a single equation. So actually what motivates one doesn't motivate another. Um, so I think for me, it's all about understanding that great leadership is about building great teams behind you. It's brilliant to be able to recruit people that have expertise that you don't have and don't ever be threatened by that. And I think the final bit that I learned more when I went to Talis, and I wish I'd known it when I first started my career managing, is that compromise isn't a weakness. So sometimes to actually say, yeah, no, you're right. Perhaps, you know, if we do it that way, we might get that outcome. I shouldn't see that as a failure. And I think when I was a very young manager, it was like, well, surely the manager is the one that has all the right ideas. And, and you know, you have to make all those decisions. But leadership is working through people. Um, so, yeah, does that make sense? Those would be the things that I would. I, That's superb. <laughs> How would you go about, let's, let's, let's pick the biggest one of that, which is building, in my opinion as well, if you get the hiring right, you can wipe away 85% of your troubles. Yeah. Everything just flows from there. So building a highly motivated team, motivating people. Motivating people, as you said, is kind of down to personalization and down to understanding the individual's desire and motivations. You can't do that on a larger scale. But how do you go about building that team together? Yeah. And in fact, if I, if I come to my my sort of current role with, with Babington, because when I joined, um, it was um, a team of one with a clear Babington had got some clear expansion programs around their learning strategy. And I joined the um, the team in order to, I guess, probably develop and improve and, and certainly use more learning technologies and how we deliver um, funded learning. So I then had to. So the team of one now is. Um, um, a team of five 
Um, and for me, it was starting with what's my vision? Yeah. What are those? What's the vision? What's the, wh- where, what is this team that I need to build? What does it need to do? Um, what are its deliverables? What's the operating model of how they're going to work together? And then underneath that is, okay, let me have a look at the role profiles of the people um, that I'm going to need to be able to achieve that vision. Um, and then that really drove my sort of recruitment strategy to, to go to market. And the other thing, which is, you know, just a a tip, I suppose, for people new into leadership is, you know, when you do leave organizations, one always leave on good terms. And I know it's frustrating and I've had it done to me, but the team that I went on to build that I built at Babington, you know, a couple of them are people that I've worked for that have worked for me before, who were great people. I hired them as great people. They did great jobs when, when they worked for me. And when I did go somebody else, I wanted to be able to bring those people back together again. So I know that frustrates organizations because it's the sense of, you know, stealing great people. But, you know, these people were ready to move on in their careers anyway. So I wasn't doing anybody an injustice. But I think hiring a great team, start with your vision, get your objectives, what's your operating model, what's your people profile, then look at your network. Who are the people that, you know, you know can do this job? And if you don't have anybody in your network, that's absolutely fine. When you go to market, just make sure it's really clear. Use your network, use other people's network, who's good over here, who's got a good track record. Um, And also the thing when I was building the new team, because I had to sort of grow it from scratch, was um, how are they all going to gel together? So when I'm recruiting, you know, how how they've got to work really closely. They very clearly do different segments of our sort of learner journey um, from a strategy point of view at Babington. And I wanted to make sure they could work together. So that was something my selection process I really had to think about. But yeah, hiring great people, never being afraid of somebody that's got more knowledge, more talent. You know, it's leadership is is leadership. You know, having great people never be threatened by somebody else's capability. My team at the moment on their areas of specialisms are way better than me. So, and they, and they do great work. I was speaking to uh, Catalina Schwenninger, who's the chief people officer at Data Camp, and she says when she's actually talking to leaders, one of the questions she asks is to tell me about the people you mentored, you coached, you sponsored, and where are they now? And yeah. if they're not with you, why not? Smart question. It's yeah. A wonderful question, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a, um, yeah, that's that's certainly what I try to do. So certainly yeah, two out of, well, yeah, two out of my team at the moment are people that have worked with me before. Yeah. 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 Once you've recruited them, once yeah. you've gone through that process, you've decided you want a highly motivated team, don't we all? Yeah. And you've set your vision really clearly in detail, what they need to do, how they're going to work together, profiles, you've recruited them, you've got them on board. Then how do you actually make sure that they are, they do gel together? Yeah. And actually, isn't that tricky now with COVID? Um, because, you know, I'm Completely. new people into a team. Um, and when I joined a year ago at Babington, we were just sort of coming out of restrictions around meetings, so it was a little easier. But we have now created a culture where the majority of their week is spent um, online. So certainly one of the things that we do do as a team is that we every two weeks we do face to face. So making sure that we have a full day together. And it's funny, actually, because if I ever, for some reason, need to change it and, and alter the day of perhaps something that would have come up in my diary um, that I that I need to move, immediately they're like, are we not having our face-to-face? So actually, they're craving that time. So for me, um, having making sure that team gel together, the first thing is roles and responsibilities. So where do I start? Where do you pick up? 
what are the things that we work together on? So as a team, where is it? We're all focused. If I give you an example. So in my team, everybody um, is focused on learner experience. So whether it's my strategy guy up front, whether it's the person looking at learning technologies or the person that's developing the content in the curriculum, it's all about is the learner having a great experience? So what we do as a team is where are my individual objectives? Where are the cross-referencing um, team objectives and what do we need to do to make sure that we're achieving those together getting them in a room together and the other thing from a leadership point of view is actually encouraging them to work as a team when the leader isn't always present yeah so this week has been really interesting because we had a bit of a challenge over something I've been sort of you know as happens with leaders busy and drawn off on on something else and now, obviously, with team, with Microsoft Teams, you can see chat going on in the background. And it was really great to see them working together to solve a problem. I deliberately kept out of the conversation. And one of the team was like, OK, I like the presentation, what you've done there, but this bit really isn't clear. How about you? I've used this as a format. Do you want to use it? Someone else responded. That's brilliant. Really, really helped me. Thank you very much. And so actually what they've done is they've done great problem solving as a team. I think um, that's the great bit of leadership because my team is quite new in terms of Tucker's model, forming, storming, norming, performing, et cetera. Um, have we had any storming yet? I don't think so, but I'm quite confident that when they do start to do a bit of storming, I'm sure they're, you know, they've got the skills to be able to, to deal with that positively. That's fantastic. Did that answer your question? Sorry, I don't know. Oh, I and then some, and then some. <laughs> That's really an interesting thing. That you, you've, so you've, you've got this model, essentially, in your head. It's like a playbook, a people playbook, which I wouldn't have expected anything else with your, your background <laughs> and learning and training. Yeah. Um, to take from yeah, the form, the, the yeah. norm, the storm, the perform, is that it takes you through the whole piece. Yeah. I like that very much. Hmm. Again, in your illustrious career to date, then, was there a particular event or uh, perhaps even a mistake that somebody else undoubtedly made that you uh, learned from? Yeah, I think, again, if I go back to my mid-career when I was at Talis, so by this time, I think I was doing, so obviously in the learning business, but doing a sort of business development, sort of sales director type role. And I... So if you imagine in, uh, you know, in a business, I reported into the MD, there was, you know, a sort of growth function, there's operations, and then all the supporting functions. And one of the things I learned from my MD at the time there is, yeah, okay, Rachel, I see when I look in the sales function, yet, yeah, you know, you think you've got everything, tickety-boo, you know, all the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, the team are high performing, you've got them motivated. But how is your team working with the other teams? So in other words, you have to be really careful that you don't create an ivory tower. Mm. So even though I thought my team were high performing, we were all good, they were happy, they were you know, getting, getting the results that we'd set, how my team were working with the other major functions was not as effective. So I was probably frustrating the ops director because my team were behaving perhaps not in the way that helped them. But I was a little bit blindsided to that. Not that I felt that I was ignoring the operations director and, and not, but I probably just as a leader didn't think that, okay, I've got all of this team, I think, following me. Because leadership for me is about if you look behind you, you should be seeing some people. If you look behind you and you don't see anybody, are we really leading? You're just a woman going for a walk. Exactly. And sometimes I just like to do that. <laughs> I'm a busy mum of two as well. I quite like the idea sometimes of going somewhere where no one, no one's near me. But I think for me, yes, look behind me is the team following me, but I need to look right and left. 
with my peer group mm-hmm. around they also following because otherwise my MD pointed out you create an ivory tower you think everything is great in your world but what you're not thinking is what impact your world's having on the rest of the business because perhaps I'd set some stuff up so it was yeah probably midway into my talent's career I was like right okay gotta get my peer group on side really quickly um, and, and that's something that, you know, even when I've joined Babington um, with our COO and our CFO and even the CEO, you know, it's my boss as well. You know, how can I get them? I wanted to introduce new t- learning technologies at Babington and, and do things where a little bit different. So there's a bit of risk attached to it and investment. Um, and I've got to make sure that when I look, my team are behind me, they think it's a great idea, but I've also got to look left and right. So, yeah, I guess that would be my advice is don't just look behind in leadership mm-hmm. look forward quite clearly, but also look left to right. Yeah, I, I call that the one true team. Yeah, so you. It's very easy if you're sitting there and you're looking after your team, the people who work for you, really in the hierarchy, right? Yeah, and then you're advocating for them. Yeah, and it's always the first step that you, the first thing that happens when you see that in an organization. I go in and I, I talk to organizations. You see, ah, that's why you yeah. have silos. Yeah, you have exactly. actively built them. Yeah. Yeah. So what you've got to yeah. do is you've got to elevate the, the leader, which is the fastest yeah. way of doing anything is you elevate the leader, yeah. build on the leader to look yeah. at their one true team, which is their yeah. peers. Now who are their, their peers? And so you need to be saying, I, I, I want a budget for hiring X, Y, Z people. Actually, yeah. maybe you could better spend that. Yeah. So then you're starting to think about the organization. Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, for me, there's always organizational level, sort of functional level, then individual level. And we've got to think about the people and the approach, I think, for those three layers. But I, I mean, I really agree with what you're saying there. And, you know, even in Babington, I'm, you know, I'm working really hard on that now. And and because I think if you demonstrate that as a leader of look forward, look behind, look left, look right, that's what your team do. So then I've got behind me people going, right, well, actually, who is my peer from this other function? But because I can see Rachel's doing it at, you know, at board level. And actually, I need to make sure that I'm doing it at SLT level, for example. So I think it, for me, it needs to be, um, I think it's a learned behavior from leadership. And mm-hmm. those things you're born with, you have to learn to do it. Um, and you have to be, I think you have to reflect when you're not doing it and think about the reasons why. But also for me, it's got to be a sort of role modeling behavior. Oh, very much. You want very people much. to follow that as well. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, certainly when I worked in Tallis, such a large organization split mm. into a number of divisions um, and naturally, when divisions have their own P&Ls, for example, you create, oh, this is my team and, you know, we're, we're focusing here. But actually, you know, Talis was an umbrella sat across the top. You know, it was a, you know, um, a large organization with a number of divisions. So working across that matrix is actually quite hard from, um, from a leadership point of view because you've got so many stakeholders. Yeah. Um, and sometimes your positional power doesn't give you any support at all. Sometimes it's about influencing and persuading and oh, isn't it always i mean wow. positional power is wonderful especially in yeah. a french i mean i was working yeah of uh, in a very french company which is hierarchy they love yeah. the hierarchy yeah. but you've only got so much it's all influence really. well yeah for me it's like you know the positional power might be less than five percent quite often <laughs> but even though it might be positioned as being greater but you're right yeah i mean i spend my day you know, lobbying if- persuading lobbying yeah i'm thinking of a career in politics <laughs> you know what i think there could be some openings there could be some openings <laughs> couldn't possibly comment yeah marvelous what are you working on at present rachel we're working on a really exciting project at the moment called untapped to unlimited and it's a piece of thought leadership from babington around 
you know, the, the sort of challenge that people in L&D have got at the moment around, you know, training or L&D commitment from an investment point of view probably is under challenge as, you know, we sort of have some difficult economic times. And then you've got this amazing funded learning that comes from the government, whether it's the apprenticeship levy or boot camps from the DfE. Um, and what Untapped Unlimited says is actually, you know, you've got a great untapped resource here in the apprenticeship levy, for example, that can do great in terms of upskilling and reskilling and building talent pipelines with your existing workforce and new employees. So great piece of research, a white paper. You can go on the Babington, a bit of a plug here, Paul. Bit of a, you know, an opportunity to go on the Babington website, download it, and then we'll come and do an audit for you. We'll talk to you about actually. You know, if your spend is, you know, four million quid on whatever it is on commercial training and your, your levy is three million, you know, how actually are you getting most out of the three million and, and how can you perhaps reduce the four million and actually spend it more wisely? So, yeah, working with both public and private sector clients. Um, but, yeah, I'm loving it. That's a really interesting piece of work. Well, I'll definitely stick a link to that in the notes of this uh, podcast. Yeah, no, we'd really welcome that. Thank you. Totally. totally. Do you have time to switch off to listen to podcasts, to read books, that sort of stuff? Yeah, I do. Switching off um, is is really important. Probably my anybody that's, you know, uh, a colleague, a friend, a peer group, my team will probably say, my God, she doesn't stop. She works very hard. But I do take time off. Um, I'm not a big... I'm not a big TV film watcher. That's I love the theatre, so going to the theatre and stuff like that would be more me. Um, I do read. Um, I probably read more business books than I do novels. But yeah, when I'm on holiday, like most people on the beach, I will take a novel with me. Um, I am into podcasts. Um, I'm a runner, so I love the idea of being able to run and, and just listen and reflect. Um, Stephen Bartlett, I saw him at the um, LPI, the Learning Performance Institute um, event, Learning Live in September. Um, and he's a yeah, pretty inspirational guy. And the thing that stuck in my head from him is he was talking about how he develops his teams when they're working on new uh, new projects and, and thinking about new ways of doing things. Um, and just making sure that when a team are working on something like that, that we also celebrate, celebrate sorry, failure in what happens sometimes when a team comes together and works on a new idea, project, et cetera. Um, because actually, do you know what you learn from failure? And it sounds a bit corny um, when I, you know, perhaps say it out loud. Stephen said it way better than me. Um, but that was one of the things that really stuck in my head. And I've got my team at the moment working on lots of new things. And sometimes it's like, well, that hasn't really worked, has it? But, you know, actually, let's celebrate the fact it hasn't worked because now we know and we know what we need to do differently. And probably out of something not working, we've actually worked out how to make it work. Um, so, yeah. So I love listening to podcasts. Um, yeah, but running, dog walking, those are all the big things for me. <laughs> celebrating failure. I think you're celebrating the failure as long as you've learned something. Of course, yeah. To, to fail and not reflect is is a big problem That's for me. Failure. Yeah, absolutely. So certainly with my team, you know, sometimes someone will ring me up and go, oh, this hasn't gone right. I'm like, okay, let's not focus on what's not gone right. Let's actually just focus on what would we do differently. And in fact, when I do my annual reviews, just the insight into my leadership style, you know, and not annual reviews, my God, we, we review on a regular basis. We're more about, you know, we're not, we're about performance being managed on, on a sort of monthly, weekly basis. It's not just about once a year. But when we do have those sort of stop points, you know, I always ask the question, you know, if, if you had your time again, what would you do differently in the last month, year, you know, sort of six months, whatever it is? Because I think it is a good chance for people to stop and reflect. Um, and what did I learn from that? Totally. There's, um, I think it's a military approach where people say, I didn't get this. It didn't work right. Good is the response, okay? Good, 
because and you find the good in it and the good in it is that I'm not going to do it again or the opportunity is different now or whatever so it's yeah. it all went to hell good <laughs> now, why was it good yeah all right then well um and you find out the reason yeah, and I think it just really encourages people to stop and reflect, actually, well, what were the things that made it good? Because you know what? I need to emulate them again somewhere else. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. What would you like to thank the younger Rachel for doing? Mm, that You've got some great questions on a Friday afternoon. Um, it's nearly one o'clock. It's nearly one o'clock. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to that. It's been a big week. Um, probably three things. Um, drive. Um, I, I think from an, an early age, um, I always wanted to do my best and I, I've always found it quite easy to self-drive. I've, I've not always been the person that's needed to have somebody behind me driving. So I think drive would be good. Um, resilience. So life is all in life. Tough things come up against us and sometimes you've just got to push through. And I, I really encourage that with my kids now and you know, don't go immediately to everything's wrong. It's actually, come on, sometimes we just need to be a little bit tough and, and find ways to, to deal with things. Um, so I think resilience and drive. And I think on resilience particularly, you know, for you know, people that are looking and, you know, perhaps new into leadership and things, you know, how, how does somebody have a career? Well, I used to think that about myself because also over the last 20 years, you know, I've had two children. I've done that juggling of, you know, needing to be on a train at sort of, you know, 8.30 in the morning and thinking, oh, school doesn't open till quarter to nine. How am I going to make that work? And being sat in a meeting still at London at four o'clock thinking I need to be back at school at five. How am I going to do that? So I think the resilience and the drive when you are, you know, whether it's a working mum or a working dad or just a, you know, a working professional, um, you've got to have both of those things. And I think the last thing for me that I would thank myself for, but I don't think I did enough for it, is just taking time out to reflect on actually sometimes when you've done a really good job and you should say well done in your own head. So the tapes you play, um, I think in your own head. Self-talk, yeah. Definitely for mental, you know, because I am so tough on myself, but I have to really practice saying, do you know what? That might not have been perfect today, but it was a bloody good job. There's a lovely thing actually from a guy called BJ Fogg. He's a, um, I think he's a neuroscientist, a behavioral scientist. And he's written this great book on habits tiny habits it's called and one of the things he says is when you're actually trying to reinforce behavior in yourself is to be physical as well as emotional so you look in the mirror and you give a big grin and you say well done paul and physically <laughs> pat yourself on the back i'm gonna try that <laughs> it gives you i sorry i feel it now actually here we go it worked it gives you this teensy little endorphin dopamine whatever it is hit yeah. and makes you want to do it again yeah no i like that I'm going to absolutely try that. Yeah. Sometimes when things happen, it's, it's just reflect on, you know, my, and the other thing I learned as well is that sometimes half a job is better than no job. And I think when you're younger, you've also got to think that I didn't quite get it the way I wanted it. But do you know what? We've got pretty much away along the line and we should celebrate some of that. And, you know, sometimes things just don't need 100%. No, no absolutely. Yeah. Get the job done. So, yeah, that would be the advice. Then wrapping up, how can people find you? Um, well, LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn, um, Rachel Kay, or have a look on the Babington website. You can see my picture. There's podcasts that I've done with Babington. Um, yeah. So, you know, reach out to me if anybody wants to talk about leadership or just my experience. I'm doing some, um, 
um, other work for some of our customers actually that are running um, uh, women in leadership programs just talking about you know what it's like to be a woman in a leadership role and actually particularly when I worked at Talis because um, the population of the workforce was about circa 85% male um, an engineer of which I was neither so navigating my way through that through my 20 years career with Talis um, yeah I guess it's a story in that for those that want to listen so um, yeah that that's probably where you can find me it's on LinkedIn. Marvellous. Well, and all that remains for me to say is, Rachel Kay, thank you very much and for joining me. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining me today. Your homework, subscribe and share this with a friend or colleague. Please leave your five-star review and any comments you have, because that really helps me to improve every day. And it helps people to discover me online. If you want to upgrade your leadership skills in 25 minutes, you should check out practical-leadership.academy.